Welcome to Let's Talk About Life, a podcast brought to you by LifeBank, the organ, eye, and tissue recovery agency in Northeast Ohio. Donation can be a complicated subject, but it is really all about life. So spend a few minutes as we unravel the complexities of donation. So come on, let's talk about life. Among the holiday songs, events, and music, not everybody celebrates the holidays with a heart of happiness. This time of year can be, in fact, difficult for those who are missing loved ones. We feel it's important for us to acknowledge that not everyone is celebrating this holiday season. Sometimes it's a matter of barely surviving the holidays. Hi. You're listening to episode 138 of Let's Talk About Life. I'm your host, Colleen Gerber, kidney recipient and LifeBank staff member. Our guest on this episode understands the complicated mix of grief and loss at a time when it seems the entire world is celebrating. She also understands how over time, celebrations and traditions can take on new meanings when thinking of our loved ones that are no longer with us. LifeBank donor family council member, Laura DePiro, lost two children in a tragic accident in April of 2010. Erin, who was 16, and 13-year-old Andrew were pulling out of their driveway on their way to school when they were hit in the side. Erin, who was driving, was able to give the gift of tissue, while Andrew was able to be an organ donor. Laura is here to share experiencing the holidays with unimaginable loss and how it has changed over the years. Laura, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks, Colleen. I really appreciate and honored to be able to share a little bit about Aaron and Andrew, as well as kind of the the last 13 years of getting through holidays and, and hopefully be able to provide a few little bits of nuggets of, of hope and, and opportunity for those that, you know, are perhaps grieving their first holiday or even like me, 13th or even beyond. So thank you so much. Well, you have been through it all. But first, I want to backtrack. I've known you since 2010. And I feel like I know them just through the experiences <laughs> of the walk and run and our donor memorials and sharing stories. So can you share with our audience just a little bit about your kids and how great they were? Oh, of course. I always love the opportunity to talk about them just like I do my living children. But um, so Erin was 16 uh, and actually just a few days shy of her 17th birthday. So definitely uh, a junior in high school, definitely a teenager in in the heart and thick of things, um, but also at kind of that cusp of, of transitioning, you know, to adulthood. Erin was uh, was very full of life and had this long blonde hair that was all natural, which I don't know where she got that from, <laughs> and was, was silly. She was just a very silly girl. You could find her laughing um, about anything and everything, especially when she was with her girlfriends. And just uh, one of her favorite things was playing soccer. Just as an aside, she didn't walk until she was almost 18 months old. And I was just a nervous Nelly mom thinking, you know, something had to be wrong. And then one day she got up and walked and and across the soccer field, we would just call her like a a gazelle running across the field. So she just, uh, you know, she was just in the thick of teenager things, you know, driving, going out with her friends, working, 
beginning to look at colleges because she wanted to look to the future about what she was going to do next. And Andrew was 13 and a half and kind of your typical early teenager had some bad hair braces. <laughs> um, and, but he had like, you know, he kind of had this little bit of an attitude every now and then, you know, outer shell, but inside his heart would just, uh, just melt and do things that he was just so very kind, loved animals of any kind and just had a soft spot for, for people. And all my friends would, would joke with me being 13 and a half years old. He would hug me every time I dropped him off anywhere. It didn't matter where or what. He'd always give me a hug and, and say goodbye. And my friend said, how do you get him to do that? And I would just say, I, I don't. That's just who he is. Oh. Um, so he just was one of those kids that just was very, had a little bit of a temper. He was a Leo. So he would, he would show ah. his, you know, his lion, lion side every now and then, but really was just soft as could be on the end. We have hundreds of pictures of them, and I just can see their faces in front of me as soon as I close my eyes. Such beautiful children, and through the tragedy, they have brought so much, not only to uh, their friends and family, but through the people at LifeBank and our supporters who have heard their story. I mean, over and over, you have shared this story, and you've been an inspiration for so many people. they're alive in our memories and in our hearts, for sure, Laura. Well, thank you so much, Colleen. I want to touch on something that, again, I said many people are maybe just barely surviving this season. How did you cope with your loss during that first holiday season? And can you share with our listeners some of the rituals or traditions that you used um, after you lost the kids to create meaning in the holidays for you and your family? I think the first holiday, uh, you know, I have to be honest, it's a little blurry. Um, I think there's almost a protective factor to yourself where you allow it to just kind of get blurry so that you don't have to kind of feel the pain as deeply as it was. You know, I, I had other living children. So for me, even though I didn't really want to celebrate the holidays, there was a, a secondary purpose to that. And so I think number one is finding that secondary purpose that, you know, what life was like before and what it was going to be that Christmas or Hanukkah or any other holiday moving forward was going to be different. One of the, the rituals that we had done was uh, each of the kids had their own colored wrapping paper that Santa would wrap the gifts in. And, and that was one that was very hard for me to continue because it, it just brought up so much of that emotion. And so that was one that and I, I did continue with, but then I did discontinue it. So I guess what I'm saying about that is there could be a ritual that you did in the past and maybe you try it and it just, it, it's too painful to continue. And that's okay. We stopped that, that ritual um, because it was just too painful for us to continue. Yeah. So, you know, I think you have to try things and see how you feel when you do them. And if you can't do them anymore, that's okay. But then you have to begin to determine what kind of new things are you going to, new traditions are you going to do to help move forward? Yeah, I think it's the absence, you know, it's the missing things that captures your attention. You know, it's the things that aren't yeah. there that breaks your heart. Right. Yeah, their, their colored wrapping paper was missing under the tree. It, it didn't feel right you know, but that their stuff wasn't there. So we started to do other traditions 
I know some people that, that I've talked to who had losses, sometimes their rituals become, you know, one I know, a friend of mine, they, they had an empty chair at the table. I didn't do that because for me, that was too hard. Mm-hmm. Like that was just like kind of a very hard, but for her and their family, that really works for them. So I guess part of what, you know, the message I'm saying is it's trial and error. And I always say kind of do the rituals and traditions that you feel work for you. But if you have to cut some of them out, that's okay too. I think for me, um, particularly because I had other children, younger children, my youngest son was only eight years old. So for him to cut every single tradition out that we did, it just didn't feel right either. You know, it was one of these balancing acts of trying to make sure that you were taking care of the people that were physically here, but also honoring Aaron and Andrew who weren't here. And so what we did that first year is not the same as what we do today. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I know your family has grown over these 13 years. Yes. You have son-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, you have grandbabies. So what does the holiday celebration look like now? And how do you now honor Aaron and Andrew throughout the holidays? So I'm going to kind of go backwards and forward. So earlier Christmases following their death, once I could get myself to cope and begin to try to help determine how are we going to honor them, whether it's honoring them with something physical by, you know, seeing something physical here in our home to remind us of them or to do something that, that in their honor. So one of the things we started to do was to buy gifts for kids that were their age. So the second Christmas is when we really started that. So uh, Drew would have been 14. So, you know, I, I'm still friends and was friends with his friends and their parents. And so hearing what, you know, what the typical 14 year old would really wanted for Christmas that year, or Aaron would have been, you know, 17, almost 18, a senior in high school. What does a senior in high school, a, a senior girl in high school want? And then we would donate that because mm-hmm. I felt like then I was kind of buying my children gifts, but honoring a, a child who's here on earth and able to experience that joy. And so as each year passed and they got older, you know, kind of the gifts changed and we do it a little bit differently now. You know, one of the things we do um, is donate to charities that we think would have been important to them. Like I said, they'd be 27 and 30. And Andrew, as I had mentioned earlier, loved animals. And I don't know that he would have been a veterinarian, but he certainly would have done something, I think, related to animals. So we, not just us, but like my, my in-laws, my parents, you know, they still want to honor the kids in some way. So they donate to the, you know, to the APL. Or Aaron, you know, wanted to do something with babies and children that were suffering. So we donate to a place called Providence House. Because then it feels like we're still giving something to our children who are not here, but letting someone else kind of reap the benefits of that. I love that. That's so, it's resourceful, really. And it's such a yeah. great way. I, first of all, I can't believe Aaron would be 30. That freaks me out. Uh, but, me too. <laughs> but, um, and I think the fun part about it now that you say that, Colleen, I think the other thing is to, you know, it's not really ritual or tradition, but it's for us. And I feel like it's let the elephant out of the room. Talk about them. We talk about them and bring their names up and say things like, well, you know, it's Christmas Eve. Erin would probably just be walking into church now, even though church is half over and she'd be carrying her couple of kids. Like we just 
we talk about the what if and, and laugh and cry about it at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important is, is bringing their names up, talking about them. It, it really is therapeutic for all of us, not just me, but, you know, our entire family who all miss them. So it's not just me or Chris who miss those kids. It's, you know, their siblings, their aunts, their uncles, and talking about them helps everybody. Well, it continues your relationship with them as well. Yeah. They're still with you, but in a different way. And I think it's very important. I haven't lost children, but losing, you know, sisters, my mom and dad, you do. You want to make sure that they're still a part of the holiday. And that's a great way to do it. Stories and laughing and memories and yeah, a few tears. But uh, it's important that they're still there and present with you at the holiday season. Great advice, Laura. I was going to add one other uh, tradition that took me a little while to determine how I was going to do it. But my parents every year for their grandchildren get their grandchildren from the time they're born until they're 18, a Christmas ornament. And it's something symbolic for that year or, you know, something they accomplished or something that was important to them. So, you know, if it was a football with with their name in the year on it or a soccer ball or ice skates because they learned how to skate or swimming or, or instrument, whatever instrument they first started playing that year, whatever it might be. And every year, you know, we would hang those on the tree. And then the tradition is, you know, the goal of the tradition was that when, when they were old enough to move out of the home, they would have a nice set of 18 to 20 ornaments that they could take with them to hang on their first Christmas tree. Oh, how cool. Yeah. So, um, and I carry that tradition on now for my grandchildren. But it was very difficult. In, in particular, I remember the first year kind of putting the ornaments on the tree. It, it, I, I couldn't even put all of Aaron and Andrew's ornaments on the tree. It was just too painful. But over the years, especially once my oldest daughter, Melissa, moved out of the home and I gave her her ornaments to take with her, it it kind of was the impetus behind saying, hey, listen, you know, when Aaron would be old enough to move out and then Andrew would be old enough to move out, their ornaments aren't on our family tree anymore. They are on their tree. So we have a small tree that we um, have in the basement um, that is Aaron and Andrew's tree and their ornaments that would have left with them when they moved out now hang on that tree because they wouldn't have their ornaments hanging on our family tree, you know, upstairs anymore. They would have them on their tree. So we have a special tree that's their tree. And I will say is I cry, I sob when I hang those ornaments on on the tree every year, but they're not all sad tears. They're tears of remembrance. Um, They're they're tears of hope. Uh, Thinking about, you know, them being on their own, um, you know, had they lived, they'd be adults, they'd be having their own Christmas tree. And I kind of honor them by hanging them on the tree for them. And I think taking a minute to be grateful for the time we had with them. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, that's always important to, you know, remember all the love and the joy that we've received from those people. And what a blessing that was that we can carry that with us. I think that's such an incredible tradition for you to carry on for Andrew and Aaron. I love that. I love that. What advice would you have for a family who just lost a loved one and is trying to just make it through day to day, let alone the holidays? What advice would you give them? Wow. I think the first piece of advice I would give is be gentle with yourself. If you want to decorate and do things like you did, then do it. 
if you don't want to, don't. I, I think, you know, the expectations, and, and we've heard it before, you know, the songs, the happy songs. And I think it's great to have those reminders of joy. But I also think we need to remind ourselves what the holiday is really about. And it is about being a family or being together with family and loved ones. And when you're missing those people for the first time, I think telling yourself, I don't have to do everything the way I did do it before. Maybe the following year, maybe you'll return to that or maybe you'll start new rituals like we have. But being gentle with yourself. And I think I always say like have an escape plan, right? Like I remember, you know, Aaron and Andrew died in April. So we had a little bit of time from their death until kind of those first big holidays. You know, we had time, a lot more time to grieve before the holiday came upon us. But for me, I always feel like the, the preparation or the kind of the days leading up to the actual event are always harder than the actual day. Mm. Um, so for me, like the wrapping of the presents, the shopping, those were very hard because they were just a lot of reminders right in your face that your loved one is gone. Yes. Um, and so I think those were the days where I had to tell myself, stop, be gentle with yourself and have an escape plan. I would be in the, in the store shopping because, you know, this was 13 years ago before Amazon was our best friend. <laughs> um, and I would be in the store and just break down. And I'd say, you know what? That's enough for today. And I, I remember leaving my cart full of stuff and just walking out of the store. Give, give yourself permission to say, if you become overwhelmed, it's okay to stop. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I see that. You want to do and you want to think that you can get through it, but you have to only do what you can. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay if you can't. You're right. You have to stop and think of yourself first. Yeah. Uh, that's a great, great bit of advice. Is there anything, Laura, that you want to share with our listeners that I didn't ask you? I think the other thing when I talk about being gentle, but also giving permission to yourself that it's okay to be happy, even though you're grieving. I really try, particularly on holidays or birthdays or kind of special events, like recently our son got married, that I can, I can be happy and I can still feel sad that they're not there. There's some, something about our society that people say, well, she's happy. She's doing great. And just because you're happy doesn't mean that you aren't also sad at the same time, that it's okay to live kind of in both worlds, that you can, you know, you can be sad and still celebrate. And I can miss Aaron and Andrew and still be present for those that I'm physically here with. And so I think giving yourself permission to smile and laugh is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you're not grieving. And I think that's important. I always feel like, you know, when you think about kind of in the olden days of grieving or certain cultures, you know, that they sit, you know, in the house or wear a black veil. I mm -hmm. think about my grandparents, when, you know, when, when I have stories from my parents that they wore a black veil for X, X period of time. Like there's almost this persona that, you know, if, if you are sad constantly, then that, then you're grieving appropriately. But it's okay to smile and laugh and grieve at the same time. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a case of one or the other. I think you can, as you say, you can be both. It's not you have to be grieving or you, you're happy. It's you can do both mm -hmm. at the same time simultaneously. 
you live in, in that world where, you know, emotion is complex. And we all know we experience more than one emotion many times a day. And so you're right. You don't have to be 100% grieving or 100% happy. Yes. And I think I remember, you know, not I think, I know I, I remember and I still feel this way sometimes that you think people will judge you. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I look happy. People are going to think that I forgot about Aaron and Andrew or, you know, that I, that I don't miss them or whatever. And so I, I did feel guilty when I would say, you know, find myself laughing, you would almost say, oh my gosh, you know, it, it, you know, the worry that people were judging you. And I share this even in some of the support groups that, that I would do with, with Alyssa, that the first thing I would think of every morning uh, following Aaron and Andrew's death was, was them. They were the first thing on my mind. And I remember the guilt I felt for the day I, I woke up and they weren't the first thing that I thought of. But then I said to myself after processing, it was, well, I don't think about my living children the first moment I wake up every day either. So, you know, I think we there's some self-imposed guilt on a lot of these things. And I think allowing yourself not to feel guilty for the way you grieve and the way you celebrate and the way you honor your loved one. I think you hit the nail on the head. Thank you so much, Laura. We are now going to turn to an expert on this subject, my colleague, Alyssa Berman, who is the Bereavement Services Program Manager. Alyssa, I know we talk about this every year because it is such an important topic, but I'm wondering what is the best gift that grievers can give themselves during the holiday season? Well, thank you so much for asking. And I've thought a lot about this lately. As people so often ask me what they can do during this time of year, and I had been thinking that as a society, we consume so much. We consume, of course, during the holidays, we consume all the wonderful food and sweets and so on, but we also consume such a tremendous amount of information. We read blogs, we listen to wonderful podcasts such as this, we take in a lot of social media and we are often hoping to find just the thing that will help us through with what we're struggling with. And yet when we take in all that information without integrating it into our lives, we're just consuming it. So frequently people will say, well, what's the magic for this time of year? You know, what's the trick? And I think Laura did such a wonderful job sharing her lived experience. She took tools and ideas and she used them in her life. And she shared with you what it's really like to embody these ideas. She wasn't passive. She was active. And it didn't take away her grief. That's not the goal of the rituals and traditions we do this time of year. It gave a different meaning to her holiday. And she held that right next to the pain of her loss. So when people want to know what to do to make it easier, I think what often they're disappointed by is when they come to me personally and ask me and I tell them, well, you're doing it. They're doing the thing. They have the trick because everyone who shows up for themselves, everyone who's feeling the experience of their loss is doing the magic thing. And I wish that there was one ritual, one technique, one answer that could suffice for somebody's traumatic loss. But there's not. And so 
Well, yes, it's absolutely true that you can develop new rituals for your holiday, which I encourage, and start new traditions, which are incredibly helpful. These things will definitely bring a new level of meaning to your experience, but what it won't do is take away the suffering of your experience. And nobody should tell you how to take that away because the only way out of a traumatic loss is to walk through it. There isn't a Band-Aid and there isn't a cure. You can't exercise it away, massage it away, deep breathe it away. You know, at the end of the day, that suffering and that trauma and that grief, the way that we heal it is being in it, is tending to it, like you would the wound of a child that you love. You would not ignore that child. You wouldn't tell it to go away. You would embrace that wounded child. You would hold it close. You would say, I've got you. And that's not magic. That's extraordinary strength, resilience, and patience. And so I know I do an entire seminar on grieving through the holidays. I don't pretend that there aren't things that you can do to help with the day-to-day. But what I really want people to hear and understand is the most important thing that they can do is just to be, to envision your grief and pain like someone who has come to you in deep pain to treat your grief with the love and tender care that you would someone you love. And if you can't do it on your own, then please come do it with the presence of a loving friend or a caring counselor or a compassionate support group. Because when you do, you will find that over time, this pain, this wound will become a scar and you will know where you were when it happened and what you were wearing and how it felt. But it will not feel or look like it did on that off day because you will have held that grief with love. And that is the very best gift you can give yourself and to your loved one on this holiday and every day. But here's the challenge and the gift. It's only information until you use it. So what I can promise is if you practice treating your grief and pain with love and tenderness and compassion, over time it will feel less intense. It will integrate into your life, but only if you actually use the gift. And that's really the trick at the end of the day. Wow, such sage advice. I mean, I hear you exactly what you're saying, that you can, you can talk about it, but until you put it into action, it's not going to help you. Alyssa, you're always amazing me with your wisdom and your help for our donor families and those who are grieving. Thank you for being a part of this podcast and for all you do for Life Bank, you're amazing. Thank you so much, Colleen. And Laura, I appreciate your time and your advice. Uh, sadly, we've met through Life Bank, but I'm so grateful for you and your family and all you've done to share Andrew and Aaron with us and to support Organizing Tissue Donation. You guys are a phenomenal family. Uh, thanks, Colleen. I really appreciate it. And I hope my little nuggets of experience are, are helpful to anybody out there that's reading the holiday season. Oh, I'm sure they are. We hope you found today's episode informative and inspirational. You know, you can save lives simply by going to lifebanc.org and registering your donation decision. You can catch Let's Talk About Life on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, but you can always find it at lifebank.org. 
We thank you for listening and we hope you come back next time. And come on, let's talk about life. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Life. If you have questions about today's podcast, reach out to us at info at Take a few minutes to do something heroic and register to be an organ donor by saying yes at lifebank.org. Literally, someone's life is dependent on it.